Hello, and welcome to episode six of CS After Hours. I'm Jeremy Brown, here with Scott Johnson, and we are coming to you from my home in Rochester, New York, as we do every week. This is part three of our look into the early days of computing and the internet. This week's retrospective, we're going to visit the early days in particular of the internet and a lot of things that happened around the same time. The trials that we went through in those early days of the internet were like the Wild West in many, many ways. But before we get started, we have some, well, not really news, but the events of this week. So by now, most of you should have set your clocks forward for daylight savings time. This is a public service announcement, but we also wanted to voice our displeasure with the change in clocks, and not for the reasons you might expect. While setting our our clocks forward was not terribly exciting, we find that the change of the clocks to be pretty much useless in this day and age. People work different hours. Some work late at night. Jeremy's kid's kid gets on the bus and it's dark no matter what time of the year it is, even with the changing of clocks. So I'm a strong advocate of staying on summertime all the time. You know, I couldn't agree at all more. In the winter, as Scott mentioned, my son gets on the bus if it's dark, period. And I would much rather have that daylight in the evening, especially in the winter when I have to shovel the driveway or walk the dog or drive home from work get dinner, whatever. It would just be nice to have the light much later in the day. And also for a public service announcement, it's daylight saving time. You're saving daylight, not daylight savings time. So put that in your vocabulary book for next time, Scott. I'll think about it. All right. (laughs) Uh, Right now, I want to take you back to April of 1995. It was in April, like many others, and like many others to come. Spring had finally sprung in much of the world, and, well, much of the Northern Hemisphere. People were taking their kids to soccer games, and hockey season was wrapping down. What was particular about this April in 1995 was it was the time when the Internet, as we know it, was founded. The internet was turned over to the commercial sector and people could finally start making money online. For a lot of people at that time, nothing in their lives changed. You could still dial into CompuServe or AOL or whatever you used. Uh, You could still check your email if you had access to email back then. But this meant that Companies could now sell access to the internet and companies could start making money on the internet. So your local bookstore, your bank could now have online presence presences where they could no not have them before. And it meant that the companies like AOL, which used to be the gatekeeper gatekeepers of information, weren't anymore. People started transitioning from those monolithic services. Transition took a while. There's still people using AOL till today. But um, you could get your news from the actual news providers. So CNN or Fox News, which actually didn't exist then, but um, you can go there instead of 
the AOL, which would um, basically manipulate the news or um, put on what they thought would best interest them. And it was still the early days, so you started to use dial-up for most people, but uh, most people used modems for this. So we talked about this last week, but the modem was the way most people connected to the internet in the early days. By now, modems are generally 56K, which I talked a little bit about last week, or about 7,000 characters a second. I know blazing speeds compared to the earlier days. Though the magic, well, they did this through the magic of compression. We, It wasn't that more data was being transferred through. Well, it was. It was just compressed into smaller packets so they could burst it fast through faster. Though real speeds were often less to the, than this due to noise, telephone lines are very noisy. If you've ever picked a hard line up, yes, some people still probably have hard lines. If you were to pick one up, you can hear static on it every once in a while. It's just some copper pairs sending um, signal through, so it degraded quite often. We will do an episode on modems in the future, so I don't want to really spend a lot of time on this. But suffice it to say that 7 kilobytes per second was more than fast enough for most people in those days. When the largest download you probably were downloading was about 5 megabytes, not gigabytes like we are today. So, for reference, if you attempted to download the latest Call of Duty on a 56K modem, it would take over a half a year to download the nearly 100 gigabytes of data. It would actually be faster for you to fly to the server, (laughs) download it to a bunch of CDs, bring it to your house, and then copy it. I mean, in early days of computing, that's how some large files got transferred. They actually had couriers who would transfer them Along airplanes, you would literally load it up onto some sort of storage medium. You would pay some kid or someone to sit down and fly over there and transfer it to the to the actual destination because it was faster at the time. So yeah, well, that, that reminds me real quick. There was always a saying in the early days of the Internet, never underestimate the bandwidth of a station wagon full of hard drives hurling down the highway <laughs> but yeah that's basically the idea it was faster and often cheaper to literally load them up into a car and drive them somewhere faster but in addition if you wanted to game on dial up the latency tended to be 100 to 150 milliseconds i know you gamers out there right now are screaming like how could you play on that well that's all we had so we had to play on that Granted, in those days, no one even had the ability to store a 100-gigabyte game, and no one was really playing um, fast-action competitive games at that time through dial-up. We're maybe playing chess or something against each other. Or this was the rise of the turn-based game, where you weren't all doing everything at the same time. You were more of doing things like I would take my turn and then click and tell you I was done, and then you would take your turn, and we'd keep doing that back and forth. But it was a little bit of a rise to an online game. It allowed you to play against other people, even with that latency. Yeah, and uh, I know that there are still some people who are using dial-up, the same dial-up service that they used 25, 30, 40 years ago. Good news is 
through the magic of innovation. Starlink is going to be helping with that. For those of you in rural America who uh, may not have good internet, Starlink is the service with low orbit satellites that will provide a 100 megabit service with 20 to 40 millisecond latency. Indeed, I expect Starlink to be to very much change how thousands of people access the internet. Even people like my parents who are way out in the middle of nowhere, Starlink will actually give them something better than the typical satellite internet. Yeah, um, I, I'm certainly looking forward to that for a lot of people. But instead of looking forward to the future, uh, let's go back to 1995. A lot of people were on dial-up. And what was... Fascinating to me is I had a friend who actually had a cable modem in those days. Now, currently we have cable modems on the DOCSIS standard, and this was pre-DOCSIS standards. And I believe that his download speeds were about one megabit, although I can't recall exactly. But it was significantly faster than the 56 kilobit uh, dial-up modem. And it roughly, I mean, if I recall correctly, it was about 20 times faster. And it was always on internet. So it used to be you'd have to dial up and connect. Um, you didn't have that in the same way, although there were some caveats to actually connecting. But it meant that you didn't have to use a second phone line, which some people had, or your main phone line, which a lot of other people had. And it came through the cable much Many of you are familiar with that. And uh, if you were to use that one megabit service, the Call of Duty download from earlier would only take 10 days. That's still a long time to download something that big. Could you imagine waiting 10 days? I know some people at Christmas time don't want to wait three hours for their new PlayStation or their new game to update, let alone waiting around 10 days to play a game. Of course, we still didn't have hard drives that could hold 100 gigabytes of data, but this was really fat, really the first time in history that mountains of information was readily available on the internet. The t- we could get to it 20 times faster with a cable modem, and it was always on, so it allowed us to do a lot more. It was the beginning of it not being faster to go to the library, copy pages of text on a copier, than just to look something up on the internet. I remember several times when I had to do studying, I would actually go to the library to look at books. Now we can just Google something and it's there in a few seconds. People were able to download music. Granted, those files were still huge at 40 megs per song, but that CD, which could hold 650 megs of data, could be downloaded in 90 minutes now. I don't know if you've ever seen the picture of Bill Gates sitting on a stack of paper. Um, So you see him in the, there's trees in the background. He's sitting on these huge stacks of paper that represent how much a 650 meg CD can hold. And that picture was from 1994. Not even a year later, you can download an entire encyclopedia um, of information with images and videos to your computer in less than two hours. So that was relatively fast. That's the time it takes to watch a movie now. So you could literally start your download, go watch a movie, come back, and it'd be ready to go. Now it would take you hours to pour through that data and find what you're looking for. But 
it was a dawn of a new age because the information was there for you. Yeah, I know. I was so excited when I was going off to college. I had all this information at my fingertips. The research and problem solving would be so much easier. And there were early search engines available. Some of those were Yahoo and Alta Vista, and I think Ask Jeeves might have been available oh, yeah. then. I think so. <laughs> but And things were really looking up. I remember these early search engines. And I went off to college, and it was dial-up. I was at a technology school and had to use dial-up for the first year I was there. Now, they were installing Ethernet to the dorm rooms, but it wasn't installed yet. And my brother, who was actually on the same campus, he had his own, his dorm had their own private network. And I ended up spending a lot of time there because it was a lot faster. But, um, I mean, it was my freshman year. It didn't really matter that much. But uh, when we finally got that 10 megabit connection to every dorm room, uh, it was fascinating. Of course, you needed to have an Ethernet card, and it would connect to your PC, and uh, that's sort of how cable modems work today. But I remember lugging around these giant computers that weighed a ton because they had lots of drives in them, and then we had 15, 17-inch CRT monitors, and uh, just kids these days have it easy. What is crazy about people lugging those giant computers around is that people would have LAN parties. And if you didn't know what a LAN party necessarily was, it was a bunch of people who would bring their computers to one local area. They would connect them together through a router and play games. Well, Switch, yes. Well, yeah, a Switch or a router or some sort of network device to allow them to play games. So you would literally... Lug your computer, your monitor, your keyboard, your mouse, which were not small. Even the towers were huge at that time. And beige. And beige. <laughs> beige was the color of the year. But um, you would lug them, you'd hook them up, and you'd play games for hours. You would literally just set up your own network and have fun. Yeah, And, yeah, everybody was in the same room, um, and you would generally all be gathered around a table, and... I don't recall specifically, but it must have gotten hot in there. Oh, yeah. But, but everybody would be, I mean, you just order pizzas and you'd all play games. It was good times. It was uh, actually social. It was a social event. Yeah, I mean, that, those were the social nets for social events for the nerds like us. Although now I don't, we just do it from home. I mean, <laughs> right? we're next door to each other and we'll still play games remotely with each other because that's how they're set up nowadays. Uh, and everybody gets their own screen. But uh, I never really did the LAN parties. Uh, I don't really know why. But I do remember lugging my computer to and from school and the monitors. And uh, boy, they were heavy. But uh, my second year of college is when things really started to change. Google came into existence and it quickly replaced everything else for me. Um, And I started to keep a close eye on everything that Google was doing, which is actually how I got a Gmail address pretty early. And what really impressed me in the early days of Google was it was a very simple website. In early websites, uh, for those of you who remember, I'm sorry to bring this up. For those of you who have never experienced it, there was lots of flashing text and marquees scrolling across the screen and 
ugly colors and it was, it was bad. Um, but it worked, but Google kept things simple and, um, it was great. Now what really changed my interest and got me interested in the internet was a little program called Winamp and it was a music player. That's all it did, but it played MP3s and MP3s were new back then. And they were one-tenth the size of the typical song that people had before them. And what made these really awesome was, one, uh, I mean, you could fit hundreds of songs on a CD instead of 10 or 15. But um, this is also the days of um, the early days where you could get music from anywhere, like while Napster came about. And... Of course, they were questionable sources, but to a college kid, um, this was the dawn of a new age, and as I said earlier, it was the wild, wild west. There were tons of free, quote-unquote, sources of everything, information, and I remember just talking with people about music and sharing that music, and I got introduced to a lot of new music that way. We talked computers and what was just awesome was all of this information was available at the click of a button. Yeah, but there was still a problem with that, right? Everyone was still tethered to their service, whether it be dial-up or a LAN. There was a cable connecting you to the services you wanted to use. At the time Google and Winamp became things, the first generation of Wi-Fi also became a thing. People could now use a laptop and not have to worry about dragging a phone line or Ethernet table across the floor to get on the Internet. I'm, I remember as a kid just having to unplug the telephone from the actual telephone line and then plug the telephone line into my computer mm-hmm. and be dragging through the hallway into my room because we didn't have an an outlet for the phone in my room. Nice. So now people could just connect through Wi-Fi. So laptops in those days were big beasts, though. I'm The gaming laptops of today that you see that are like bricks are nothing compared to these things. They were huge. The components were huge. So... People, but people were able to take them with them, go to class, take notes, write documents, carry them around. There wasn't much game playing on them at the time because they really didn't have the power back then like they do now for gaming. Yeah, you know what actually that reminded me of is nowadays you see kids that have like 24-foot cords for their cell phones to keep them plugged in all the time, and then they're tethered to the wall for power to use their cell phones. Yeah. But speaking of cell phones, um, I mean, Wi-Fi connectivity wasn't really popular in the 90s. Um, I mean, people had it, but it wasn't prevalent like it is today. But uh, I did at that time, speaking of wireless connectivity, purchased my first cell phone. It wasn't anything uh, fancy. It was a simple flip phone, if I recall correctly. There was no data service. But... I had my own phone number, and that meant freedom. But people didn't have to call a house and ask for me anymore or a um, dorm room or whatever it was. And uh, wherever I was, they could get a hold of me. Oops. And um, 
I mean, it was nice because you go out to dinner, call a friend, tell them you were actually there and where you were. And, and it was just a nice way to communicate. Yeah. It made things a lot easier when cell phones started coming out. A lot of people take them for granted today, you know, that you have the always connected connectivity that you can see where other people are. You can do that Snapchat. You can do all of that stuff. I don't do Snapchat. <laughs> but um, a lot of people are always connected to them. They were, in the early days, they were great because if I needed to go vi- hang out with a friend, they would have to call my house. We'd have to make all the plans when exactly to meet up and where in the mall we should meet up. Right. And then sit there and wait until one of them showed up. And you would just sit there and wait. If they were running late, you had you no wait. way of contacting them. You waited. But with a cell phone, you could easily just call up and say, hey, I'm running five minutes late. I'll be there in a couple of minutes. Hopefully not while you're driving, but you know. Uh, I, I mean, even cell phones. Like I remember the idea of when we went to amusement parks and you'd tell your friends you'd meet someplace at one. You'd all get together at one and then you'd all say, okay, we need two more hours to do stuff and run off again. And- yep. Now you can just simply send a text to somebody and say, hey, we're going to keep doing this. Can we meet up in 20 minutes or something of that nature? Yep. But people take them for granted now. But in the early days, um, we thought they were the best thing since sliced bread. But looking back, it's pretty clear to to see where the trend of smartphones came from. There were devices before smartphones that did take advantage of some of these Wi-Fi services. So people are connecting to the internet more and more all the time. The internet was always there and getting faster and faster. And with Wi-Fi, I could do I could travel around my house and do things. I could bring my device with me and do things. So many people did have laptops at that point. The big limitation that you were li- limited to the information on the laptop unless you were connected to something. The advent of Wi-Fi changed that, but still required you to be within the range of the Wi-Fi access point. You had a a cell phone that could be used from anywhere, but didn't have data on it. Early cell phones were just used for making a call and maybe texting, if you were lucky. While Apple didn't introduce the iPhone until 2007, there were several portable devices before that including things like the Palm Pilot, the Apple Newton, the HP iPad, Pocket PC. These devices were expensive, had short battery life, and generally did not connect to cellular data, but would synchronize with your computer so you could take notes on the go. Look at your calendar, make a phone call, but... Only the phone calls use the cellular service. So I literally could write a note, jot it down in my Palm Pilot. When I made it home, it would sync up with my PC and all that information would be there. So I didn't necessarily have to lug around my laptop to keep track of my calendar and stuff like that. But it still required me to sync it every once in a while. Your phone now does that automatically all the time. Yep. Uh, I remember people doing that. Because it's always connected. But I had one of these devices. I actually had a Palm Pilot when they came out because I thought they were cool. (laughs) Um, I'm sadly mistaken now, but at the time, they were an awesome thing to have. And I saved up a bunch of money to buy one of these things 
Today, my calculator can probably do more than the Palm Pilot can, but it was a nifty tool. I could carry around my schedule. I could carry around notes. It was my cell phone. But once again, the limitation was there that I had to sync every once in a while. And the syncing was not fast. No, no, no. It took several hours sometimes to sync these things. Yeah, I do remember hearing that. But I, I don't think I ever had a Palm device. Oh, and I know people who did. I now know one more. Um, but I do remember having a laptop. I remember my first Linksys router that had Wi-Fi. I don't remember when I got it, um, what year it was, but I do remember having it. But one thing I remember was going to visit my mother, and she lives about five hours away uh, via car. And you have to go through the hills of northern Pennsylvania. In that area, there isn't a whole lot of radio stations. Um, there weren't then, and I'm pretty sure there aren't now. But I remember taking my laptop with me and being able to do some work. when I wasn't driving, of course, but it was great because I could sit there and write some code and do stuff. But I couldn't look things up on the internet. So there's no internet in the car. There was no cellular data, no nothing. Um, so if I got stuck on a programming problem, I had to wait until I arrived to someplace with internet. That means you couldn't just email your professor immediately or um, message him on Slack to solve your problem? Or, or email my coworkers or anything. Yeah, yep. I know, right? It was crazy. But it was during those trips that I imagined that someday I'd be able to drive through those mountains and listen to whatever music I wanted streaming from somewhere. Well, um, it seems that I can do that now. Um, but uh, it's, it's funny when you think about these things that were at one time just a dream, being able to get on the internet from anywhere, to be able to uh, stream music wherever you are on a walk with your watch. Um, and... I mean, video conferencing is ubiquitous now, which is fascinating. But is there anything that you dreamed of in those days that you're using now? Well, I always hated the dead zones like you did. Until recently, my parents were still in a dead zone. When I went to visit them, I literally had no cell service. And the only internet service they had was either through satellite, which was terrible and limited, or through DSL. And basically... There was a limited number of DSL lines in the area, and everyone who wanted internet had one. And you basically had to wait for someone to die in order to get a DSL line. <laughs> it, it was terrible. So not having dead zones was the greatest thing. Being able to just um, travel and have things with me. I mean, I love going to my parents' house. Because sometimes it's great to just unplug from everything. And I warn my students, when I go to my parents' house, don't expect anything from me for the weekend. Because I literally don't get cell service. And what internet I do get isn't going to allow me to access their coding problems. So it's just basically my time away. Quite the opposite in the 90s when I wish I could be plugged in more. Being able to Google something on the fly, like what is the capital of XYZ, 
In the 90s, you'd have to wait to ask someone or go look it up in an encyclopedia. Yes, those books that just sit on your grandmother's shelf. They're like 40 volumes. Oh, yeah, I had a set. Oh, yeah. And you literally had to look things up. Now, you could just grab my phone. I can just grab my phone, message maybe Jeremy or someone and ask them, or even Google it, and Google will give me like 3,000 responses. But it's great because now we're plugged in. And that's what I wanted back in the day, being able to be plugged in and have access to this information. Just makes me wonder what the next 20 years will bring. At the rate of change, maybe we'll have humans on Mars. I mean, SpaceX is doing a lot lately with doing a lot that, of the rocket launches. They are. And, or maybe even a colony on the moon. Could you imagine just being able to go spend a weekend on the moon or a week on the moon? I mean, probably it'd be a little longer than that, but it may come in the next 20 years. Maybe VR that hooks directly to your head. You don't need glasses or anything. It just modifies your brain waves and things of that nature. It's all going to be interesting to see. Just look at the last 20 years of what's come through in computing. Even the last five years, it's amazing. So... How about you, listeners? Is there anything you dream about today that you expect to see in 20 years? Self-driving cars, space travel to Mars, something else? Leave us a comment on our Reddit, Twitter, or Facebook and let us know what your technology dreams are. Yeah, I'm certainly looking forward to self-driving cars. I mean, I don't want my son to drive. (laughs) But that about does it for time. Uh, we'd like to thank you for joining us this week, and this is the end of our three-part series on the technology of our youth. Uh, we hope you enjoyed this look back. Thank you, goodbye, and we will see you next week. Goodbye. Goodbye, everyone. <laughs>